Hey, Sales of Nation, it's Tyler Lindley, your host here. Today, I have Shruti Kapoor, the CEO and founder of Wingman. Hey, Shruti, how you doing? Welcome to the show. Thanks, Tyler. Great to be here. Yeah, excited to have you on. So like I mentioned, Shruti is the CEO and founder of Wingman, a conversational intelligence software tool based in India. And Shruti and I, before we were just talking about these founder-led sales teams, I know we've got a lot of founders out there listening, founders and revenue leaders of these startup and scale-up businesses. It's a really tough transition, right, to go from just a founder-led team to giving away some of the reins to the marketing sales success org inside of your scaling business. Shruti, what do you see when those founders are making that transition? What do you see as some best practices for going from a founder-led team to maybe bringing in another sales resource to help lead the sales efforts in a scaling organization? Yeah, it's, it's a pretty tough transition. And I think even if you uh, are not looking at someone to replace in terms of leading uh, the sales team, even sometimes getting in resources to just help with sales can uh, be challenging. And there are a few different aspects to why that transition is challenging. And maybe that we get into that a little bit so that we know why the best practices are what they should be. All right. One of those challenges that founders often face is the way they have sold. And the reason why people have bought from them is going to be different from the reason why someone buys from your salesperson. So very often the challenge they face is, listen, this is how I did it and it really worked well. Why don't you do it the same way? And the reason why it doesn't work is because when you go in as a founder and try to make a sale, uh, very often people are buying something from you because uh, of the trust that they place in you. And as a startup, one of the biggest challenges you face is that lack of trust. And so you as a founder, you're inherently able to build that trust uh, because people also know that suppose I buy this from the founder. Now, mm-hmm. tomorrow, if something goes wrong with the product or if I need a new feature, I can go back and the founder will have a little bit more say in the system to you know help me get past that problem. So one part of it is that. The second part is because founders have just been so close to that, uh, right, dreaming about that product and about that audience day in and day out, when they bring in a new person, a lot of that knowledge is not codified, uh, right? It's all in their head. So when they bring in the new person, it's very hard for them to do that knowledge transfer. It's not like nicely written notion pages that they can send the link to. So that's the second part of it. And the third part of it, I think, is just the challenge in handing over the reins. And I think everybody faces that at different points and at different levels. The first part of it makes the third part really difficult because when you hand over the reins, there is going to be a period where the new person needs to reimagine how sales is, needs to be done for that organization and that product, which means that there will probably be a time uh, when things are a little bit slower than you'd like. Uh, there's probably a time when things need to be reimagined, experimented with, and you need to be patient, place the trust, and let things evolve. Mm -hmm. So I think those are three challenges that founders face. Yeah, I totally agree. To touch on the second one you said there, you're talking about that knowledge transfer and how that's typically not something that is written down and codified. It doesn't belong anywhere. What would be some of the things that you'd recommend founders doing proactively as they know they're eventually going to have to bring in other people. They're going to have to formalize their systems and processes around marketing and sales. What would you recommend to those founders? Uh, What should they be 
writing down, building, creating now as resources for those teams that already, they already have those teams or they're about to start uh, hiring for those roles and bringing on those external folks? Yeah, I think one thing founders are really bad at is doing this codification and it's never going to happen. At least I think most of the time it's not going to happen without there being an immediate need. Uh, so what I've found that's practical and that works well is when you're bringing in maybe the first salesperson, you just make a list of the topics that you need to make sure that you cover ground on uh, and set up one-on-one meetings with that person over the first two weeks of their time together where you walk them through that. So one topic could be, hey, this is what our persona looks like. This is the buyer persona. This is the user persona. You might have another uh, topic, which is this is what the competitor landscape looks like. And so you kind of create that list of topics. And maybe when you do that, you actually record those meetings and you then get maybe that hire to actually do a summary of those recordings for you, which does two things, right? One is you get to build that resource. And two is that person uh, gets to tell you whether they've understood what you actually wanted to convey. All right. And maybe you missed out something and you're able to iterate on that. So I think that's one way to create the resource. The second way to create a resource is the actual interactions that you're having with customers, right? Whether that's the email templates that you've used or the calls that you've used. Now, what's important is to not try and replicate those with the new person, but to tell them, to still show them what has worked. There will be things that they can take away from it. And there will be things that they should actually not take from it. Because the way you communicate with someone as the founder uh, versus the way your sales rep is going to communicate has to be different. Uh, so you should still create that library, uh, right? Whether that's recordings of all of your customer calls, uh, which you want to share with them. But you should make sure that you give them enough space to make modifications to it. Mm-hmm. Yep. hundred percent. And as, as you start to build those things and, and you start to bring on these other people, naturally you're going to start doing some sales coaching, whether that is the founder that is doing the coaching, they're still leading that sales uh, team or that group of people, or you've got someone, you know, who's leading the sales team. You've brought in someone to lead that team and they're doing the coaching regardless. Sales coaching needs to happen throughout this process, regardless of who's doing it. I know that with wingman, you are enabling a lot of sales coaching through your your software tool. Why did you hone in on sales coaching? Why do you think that's important for sales teams this day and age, Shruti? Yeah, so you know, actually, I didn't hone in on it. I think the market gave me a lot of feedback to hone in on it. So the reason why I started thinking about something that could record and transcribe sales calls was a little bit different. Like I think I started thinking about this because I was completely annoyed with the the kind of data that existed in Salesforce, uh, right? Like salespeople don't like to put in notes and uh, that literally meant that every time I wanted to know why a deal uh, wasn't going forward, all I would face was status which said unqualified or not interested. Mm-hmm. And so my quest was really to find and to be able to dive deeper into some of those and to be able to share that back with the product and the marketing teams, uh, right? To say, listen, this is what we need to change. And then when... I came up with that and, you know, I started speaking to a lot of different sales teams and sales leaders. Uh, They immediately clung on to it and said, hey, this would be fantastic for me to do coaching on. Uh, And then as we evolved that and we spoke more about it, what we realized was that sales coaching is something that is aspirational. 
which means that a lot of sales leaders want to do it, but it doesn't happen. <laughs> so while a lot of people came in and said, listen, we'd, we'd love to be able to use this for doing coaching, what we quickly realized was coaching wasn't happening half as much as they promised they do or as much as we would have liked them to do. Uh, and so we actually took that a step further and said, listen, why is coaching not happening? And very often that bottleneck is time on the sales manager's part. And how do we make sure that the sales manager is no longer the bottleneck? The biggest thing that came across was the reason why a lot of managers are so gung-ho about wanting to coach is because they know the benefits of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like out of maybe the five different sales jobs they've done in their career before getting here, there at least been one place where they had really great coaching and that changed their view of sales. But it's just that it probably happened one out of five times. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to make sure that it's more democratized. It's happening much more often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a good point. I think I totally agree with your sentiment of sales coaching is aspirational. I know that it is something that's always discussed and it's something that even when you're bringing on new sales hires, you talk about this environment of coaching, but then if there's not actually a system or process in place to do that coaching, usually it's one of those things that gets put on the back burner. If you if some of the sales leaders or founders out there are in that position where they feel like sales coaching is aspirational. It is on the back burner. We don't make time for it. What are some things that these sales leaders and founders can do to build sales coaching into their day-to-day, their day-to-day process of running their sales work? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think the first thing that a sales manager can do is not make themselves a bottleneck in that process. Uh, And to enable sales reps, to be able to learn from each other or learn from the manager on their own. So which is why I think the ability to have a resource that allows people to go in and look at best practices, right? Whether that is recordings uh, of good sales calls uh, on a tool like LinkedIn, or even if you, you know, you're not using the tool, even if you just want to go in and record a few of your customer meetings uh, and place them in a, a, you know, shared folder of some sort and get everyone to use it, that's good enough. Don't make yourself a bottleneck because uh, there are going to be situations and times when, you know, there are 25 other things that are higher priority and you have to get them done, but you can't make sales coaching take that back burner position. So I think it's important to make sure that your sales reps feel empowered enough to do coaching for themselves uh, or to use peer learning. Encourage. One thing that we've seen organizations that have done well uh, do is create like a coaching environment with having a weekly coaching uh, call. Uh, And the sales manager doesn't have to lead it. It could Mm. very simply be reps giving feedback to each other. Sometimes it's even actually constructive for the sales manager to not be there in that meeting at all. So I think those are some of the things that managers can do. And then uh, the third thing is that sometimes managers struggle in making the balance between how much should it be codified and how much flexibility should I give my reps? Do I create a script or uh, you know, do I just create a structure or do I create a framework? What you know, Where the balance and where the answer lies depends on a couple of things. One is what is the maturity and experience level of the sales rep? All right. So the answer is going to be different even within the same team. Mm -hmm. The second part of it is it also depends on the complexity of uh, what you're selling. 
and how if it's a long sales process with multiple stakeholders, the more structure you have, the better it is, because otherwise it's easy for things to kind of start, begin to fall apart. And of course, you need to know where the structure needs to you know, be let go of. So the way we found it to work the best is work with your team to create that basic framework, build on top of it and get to a stage where you have scripts uh, and you then allow people to uh, start move out, to start to move away from the scripts, right? But create those scripts and create those scripts jointly with your team. And then once they've become comfortable enough with the scripts, at some point they'll become comfortable enough to make modifications to them. Mm-hmm. But don't start with a situation where you don't give them enough tools, uh, right? And you say, you know what, just go and figure your way out. I think it's important to maybe uh, sometimes give more tools and then give them the choice of not using all of them. Mm-hmm. Yep. I love that idea. Almost give them more than they think they need, more than you think they need, at least initially, because that's how you get all those ideas out. You're talking about recording some internal conversations and you're talking about record doing some peer learning. I love that idea of having a weekly coaching call. Maybe the sales manager is not even involved. Maybe it's just peer to peer, but being able to talk about, because we all do weekly sales uh, deal review calls with our managers. However, how much coaching happens on those calls? Usually you're, you're so in the weeds of a deal that coaching sometimes can fall to the wayside. So I do think that it almost maybe should be a separate call, a separate uh, standing meeting that the sales manager could or could not be involved in, but it's focused on coaching. It's focused on development. It's focused on those scripts that are being created jointly. What's working, best sharing, best practices. That I think is is an effective way to really build, build out a coaching program that is effective and one where you build in the time, like you mentioned. One thing that... One thing that you talked about was having having things structured versus giving flexibility. If I know you mentioned initially you recommend having more structure than you think folks need, how do you build in flexibility into that kind of a system? Does that happen naturally or do you think, do you need to instruct reps to, to be flexible or how do you think that happens, Trudy? I think the way it's, at least this is how, this is what I would recommend. When you create that structure, you let them know that there is flexibility in it and they should constantly question the structure, but that they should not abandon the structure. It should not be that I go in and be like, I'm too lazy to try and adopt a script. So I will just do my own thing because I'm too lazy to adopt a script. It should be a conscious call of saying, hey, I've tried out the script five times and I know that this is one place where maybe it doesn't work so well. So let me consciously go and change that piece of it. And when I say script, I use it a little bit more loosely than saying you have to read stuff verbatim. I think the way to do it right is to tell people that they have to start with the script, but then they have every right to come back and give feedback on the script and use that judgment to help evolve the script, right? And not just abandon it. So I think that's where it should go. And I think over a period of time, as people become more comfortable in the system, you can maybe give them a little bit more leeway Mm -hmm. uh, on moving away from the script. Got it. And one of the things that you uh, mentioned, right, like about how the deal coaching piece happens. And that's the other thing, right? Like a lot of sales leaders, uh, when they talk about coaching, they're actually talking about the deal review meetings that they have. Mm -hmm. And that's not coaching. Some people like to uh, call it coaching by saying it's deal coaching. But honestly, that is just deal reviews. And what happens is that if you over-index everything on that, 
you are actually getting a very limited view of uh, what's working and what's not working because 60-70% of the conversations with customers are not even going to make it to a deal review meeting. Things that are only promising and converting to opportunities are the ones that are going to make it to a deal review meeting. And you miss out on all the others where you don't know why they didn't make it to the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think it's important to keep those two uh, separate. Yep. Totally agree. Yeah. And you, like you just mentioned, you miss out on all of that learning and opportunity to develop your sales team from those deals that don't get to deal review. So another great reason why you should probably keep coaching and deal review separate. One of the things that wingman is based off of is conversational intelligence. If I'm a founder or a sales leader of a scaling organization right now, why does conversational intelligence matter? Why should I care about it? And and what do I need to know about it? Yeah, I think uh, today people almost think of conversational intelligence and as it's like how you don't enter a room without your cell phone anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, You always have a a mobile phone. And maybe 20 years back when this was relatively new, people would actually be a little bit more fidgety and excuse themselves if they actually got a call on the phone because that would be considered so rude and out of uh, the ordinary. And in some sense, today when you get into a meeting, uh, a video meeting like this, you're likely to see a third participant, uh, which is the conversation intelligence tool, uh, being part of that conversation. So I think it's moving a little bit in that direction where people are a little bit less apologetic about having that, mm. that third participant in the room or that intruder in some sense. Now, why why do people need to think about conversation intelligence and what does it bring for them? I think there are different layers to it. One part of it is if you could just think about being on every conversation with your customer, and especially if you're a, in any business role, whether that's a product role or a marketing role or you're a founder, you would get such a wealth of information, right? People spend so much time and energy talking about doing customer interviews or market research. So in some sense, that wealth of information that exists, and it has always existed, right? Like you could record conversations many years back. What conversation intelligence is doing is it's helping you tap that at scale uh, because nobody has the time to listen to every uh, call recording end to end. You probably heard that message of, hey, this call is going to be recorded for training purposes for many years, but less than 2% of those calls ever get played back uh, again. What conversation intelligence does is it, it makes sure that even if I'm not playing back any even a single call, I still know what's happening at scale in the organization. I still know uh, what percentage of time are my reps talking? How many questions on average are they asking in a call? And how many times is pricing being discussed? Which competitor is showing up more often in those conversations? And all of those things, insights that you can no longer ignore. If you know that you can have access to them, uh, there is no reason to say that I don't want to have access to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think that part of it is, It's something that is easy for people to understand. Uh, Now, the second part of it is, what do you layer on top of it? So as a sales manager, what you want to layer on top of it is to say, which of my reps are doing well and why are they doing well? Uh, And what can I then do to get the rest of my team to adopt that behavior? The thing that a lot of sales organizations struggle with is, especially when they try to roll out a playbook, uh, they don't know whether the playbook is working or not. Mm. Uh, You can A-B test your website, you can A-B test your emails, but you can't really A-B test your uh, sales calls. Conversation intelligence gives you the ability to 
do that A-B testing and do that retrospectively because I can't tell my rep, listen, today when you start this call, you're going to follow this script and not that because you have to respond to what the customer says to them. They just can't be rattling off something. It's able to retrospectively do that. And I think that's great. And the third piece of it really is the ability to allow your reps to just listen to the conversation. If you're taking notes very often, you're getting distracted and you might miss something. Also, sometimes it's only later when you're reviewing the discussion in your head, do you realize, should I know they said something about this and I don't know what it was. Uh, and so it takes away that distraction and that pressure. And I think sales is a high pressure enough job that <laughs> something can take away some stress, <laughs> then, you know, that's only better. Uh, and the fourth part of it really is, and I, I love this part, which is, can I then use all of these other things that I have to create something that helps my reps while they are having those conversations? People love to talk about the talk to listen ratio, but it's really hard for me to know in, in this conversation what percentage of time I have been speaking versus you. And I know it's probably more tilted towards me, but I don't know how bad it is. So if something can go in and tell me, hey, you've been speaking for two minutes nonstop. Why don't you pause and let Tyler talk a little bit? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that would be great. All right. So I love the fact that you now have the ability to literally have your own assistant or wingman during these conversations. And you can choose how much or how little you want it to tell you during the conversation versus after it's done. Mm -hmm. So I think those are, uh, you know, some of the reasons why it's in my head, something that's going to be there for every sales team mm -hmm. in the future. Yep. Yeah. And definitely you've talked about the different levels almost of conversational intelligence. You talked about being able to just have those recordings, listen to them after the fact. 2.0 is being able to actually impact the call while it's happening, which is definitely some of the things that you're starting to do with Wingman. Some really exciting, exciting work that you're doing there. Shruti, if, if my listeners want to find you online, find out more about Wingman, what is the best way for them to reach you online? Yeah, so I think I'm uh, pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, you can look for Shruti Kapoor on LinkedIn. Nan's website is thrivingnan.com. So yeah, you can drop by on the website and drop us a note on Intercommerce. Perfect. And we will link to both of those in the show notes. So if you do want to reach Shruti, uh, definitely check her out on LinkedIn, add her as a, as a connection, and then check out Wingman at trywingman.com. Shruti, I want to thank you so much for joining. We'll definitely have you back on to hear about Wingman's future growth and the, the next stages of conversational intelligence as your, as that, as your tool and that entire kind of industry grows in the future. So I really appreciate you coming on today. Thanks, Tyler. It was lovely speaking with you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. You can find all the links discussed and the show notes at thesaleslift.com. That's the, T-H-E, sales, S-A-L-E-S, lift, L-I-F-T, dot com. Have questions for me? Email me at tyler at thesaleslift.com. We look forward to seeing you back here next week. And we hope today's show brings you the sales lift your business needs. Remember, ideas plus action equals results. You've got new ideas. Now it's time to take action and the results will follow. See you next time.